Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is 921 Total Information AM. You just heard from Senator Andrew Koenig about his bill that would ban critical race theory in the state of Missouri as Missouri politicians continue to legislate requirements in the classroom, including targeting CRT. We wanted to talk to an expert on just what critical race theory is. On the line now, Professor Andrea Dixon. She's the executive director of Education and Civil Rights Initiative uh, and a professor of educational leadership studies at the University of Kentucky. She wrote the book that is called Critical Race Theory in Education, and she joins us now on KMWX. Professor, uh, thank you so much for your time. Good, uh, good morning. Thank you. And it's Adrian. Just uh, Adrian, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. So we've heard a lot from politicians who want to ban critical race theory. And often when you ask them, what is it? Some of them can't explain it. So right. would you please tell us as yep. one who has written the book, what is sure. critical race theory? Yep. Critical race theory is um, initially was a what we call in the academy a theoretical framework that e- that emerged from actually uh, legal um, legal scholarship um, that imported was imported into education um, and other and subsequently other fields. But in education, it was a way of trying to make sense of after the that given um, the kind of post Brown the the Brown decision and the related civil rights legislation, why do we still find in education um, disparities that appear to map very neatly along race? Um, And so how could we account for that? That previously scholars would use race as simply a variable, um, among other variables, but generally when we looked at underachievement, um, underfunding, when we looked at disciplinary rates, expulsions, and suspension rates, um, we could almost predict them along racial lines and, and in some cases, gender lines. And so Gloria Latson Billings and, and Bill Tate argued that then we must, we needed to start to kind of theorize about race as a causal factor um, as opposed to it just being a variable. And that perhaps there's something with race and racism, racial subordination, that is a carryover um, from um, when we had de jure Jim Crow, when we had legal uh, racial subordination and segregation, and that the the vestiges of that um, are we still see we see them manifesting in our education practices and um, and policies, and so it's a way of kind of making sense of that. And and for the most part, CRT has lived at the level of graduate education um, and training. There have been scholars, and I have a number of colleagues who have um, in work with teachers um, tried to help them makes again make sense of kind of persistent um, racial disparities and thinking about kind of how this is linked to a very solid and long history 
of legalized racial subordination in the United States, that, that the Brown decision didn't eradicate beliefs, ideas, and dispositions. Can you explain? Your, your, um, you've said that a couple of times, um, mm-hmm. racial subordination. What, what exactly sure. does that mean, and how does it show up? Sure. So um, when we think about who gets to be identified as gifted, um, so what constitutes being smart? For most of our history, um, uh, certain groups, and African Americans being one of them, uh, it was, you know, we had, uh, so the SAT is the vestige of this, um, intelligent quotient IQ test. There was a belief that, that black people just could not, they didn't have the capacity or the ability to know and to learn at the level that Europeans did. And interestingly enough, the IQ test was very subjective just in its measures, but um, depending on the the um, ethnicity of the um, of the scholar, you would have these big debates uh, between different um, uh, scholars would have Anglo-Saxons as the, the smartest, quote unquote, race. Um, the French would say they were the sm- smartest race. The Germans would say they were the smartest race. So there were some battles that, you know, so that lends it, to, you know, to the subjectivity notion of it. But what was always clear is that African Americans and Native Americans um, were at the bottom of the of the hierarchies of the intelligence hierarchies, and that that has been an abiding. You know, we haven't quite gotten rid of that, which is why people have had such strong critiques of standardized tests, which are a, uh, a, a child, now a grandchild, of the original IQ test. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what we mean by racial subordination. Um, practices that expel and suspend kids for uh, when we call uh, black boys aggressive and, um, and white boys inquisitive or energetic or passionate, right? And so the same behaviors get punished differently um, based on the race of the child. That's racial subordination. Mm. Um, Lack of access to advanced placement courses, either because um, school districts are underfunded by the state or within school districts, there are schools that are deemed as more worthy because they've been identified as uh, magnet schools that attract a certain kind of students. So they're going to have a much more diverse and um, academically rigorous curricula and other schools that are quote unquote underperforming and tend to be more poor and more students of color and students of color who live in poverty, those schools tend to have less course rigorous off- offerings. And so that's what we mean by how racial subordination manifests in, um, in education, that that's the kind of what we call the de facto. So by law, right, the de jure practice was there were just some things that black schools weren't going to get. Um, and de facto now, we use test scores, we use zip code, we use a host of things. The amount of money that boosters or um, PTAs can raise to supplement, right? So there are these kind of soft and subtle ways that racial subordination continues to manifest and in, uh, just public education, Professor. Why why are lawmakers trying to ban CRT uh, or or at least restrict it from primary right. and secondary schools? Yeah, so we believe that it's a much longer arc of attacks on civil rights. You know, after the civil rights uh, legislation was passed, which you know there had to be a second. The, there was Brown one, Brown two. 
um, and all the related um, legislation that came along with it, loving, uh, uh, loving v. Virginia, um, which you know uh, our uh, Justice um, Thomas invoked in his discussion about once the Roe v. Wade was effectively um, overturned, that they would be looking at other um, legislation. Um, so, uh, um, so all of these laws are kind of. Um, uh, grandchildren of the Brown decision. I think it's a long arc of eradicating um, the civil rights legislation. Professor, uh, can you stick around? We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk to you for a couple more minutes. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. She's the executive director of the Education and Civil Rights Initiative, a professor of educational leadership studies. She wrote a book called Critical Race Theory in Education. A quick break and come back with more uh, on KMOX. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is 931. Uh, We have winter storm watch in effect. Snow is on the way beginning tomorrow night, lasting through Wednesday morning. Three to six inches is possible in accumulation. We wanted to continue our conversation with Professor um, Andrea, and I'm going to, I hope I don't mess it up, Dixon, who is the... You did say Andrea. I did say Andrea. It's Adrian. It's Adrian. (laughs) I keep looking at it, and I want to say it in a different way, Professor. She wrote the book, Critical Race Theory and Education. And we had Senator Andrew Koenig of Manchester on with us. There are many bills around the country and laws that have been passed to ban critical race theory teaching in primary education. And, Professor, I wanted to ask you, and I'm glad you stuck around with us, how as you've watched this unfold in this country, what's your understanding of how this notion that some teachers are are in classrooms in middle school or high school, teaching that all whites are oppressors and all black people are victims. How did that, Mm -hmm. nothing you said in your book Mm -hmm. describes Mm -hmm. that. So how did that come to be? Um, Well, I think it's a bigger, you know, so I think that um, people misinterpret uh, when we talk about American history and, 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 um, you know, folks are talking about objective histories, right? They're, Jim Crow existed, right? Um, we had segregated facilities. Those existed. Uh, they, we're not talking about something that came out of the ether. And they existed until 1954. And then we had to do Brown too, um, just for public education and public facilities, right? So, so that's not that long ago. It, you know, most of my friends who were born in 1964 would hate for somebody to say, oh, that was that's old. Um, so we just think about people who were born in 1964. They were born during an effective um, time of, of racial segregation. Um, so I think that people are misinterpreting um, sometimes because they may feel, I don't know, this is beyond my scope of work. I don't do um, psychoanalysis and uh, the psychology of, of racism and racial history, but I do think that talking about difficult issues and and what people think are controversial issues, which I would just say is American history, um, that they may feel some sort of guilt because they identify 
with the groups that were in power. Um, and uh, and so what these laws are doing, are, in my view, is effectively legislating the protection of white feelings, uh, to be quite blunt. Um, and I think that it's dangerous as a democracy when we um, are restricting what people can know. Like we're telling teachers and we're telling children, you can't know, you can't teach this and your, and your students can't know it. And in a democracy, and certainly in the kind of rhetoric of what it means to be an American with free speech, I find that not only hypocritical, but untenable for the democracy, that um, we would um, stand for the uh, legislation that would tell us, you can't know something. I, I think that's shocking. And that we are, again, legislating uh, that certain books can't be taught. We're telling you, you can't know this, you can't read it. Um, that should be uh, terrifying for every American. I mean, it, it, isn't history literally the documentation of human activity? I mean, it's. It is. Isn't it supposed to be everything that's happened? <laughs> it is. It is. There are some, you know, obviously historians will say there's some interpretation of events, right? Um, so that's the historiography they go. Like they what was the Civil War school. really about? There's this ongoing <laughs> interpretation, right? There's an on right. There's an ongoing. We have some documentation that's very clear what the Civil War is about. And then we have, you know, the opinions and perspectives of others who were a part of the Confederacy who saw it as something else. And even though their words may say so, it is there is some debate, but there is some clarity about what the Civil War is about among and, historians. And, and Professor, I, 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 to get personal, uh, sure. as the mother of two black sons, I have the, when mm -hmm. you talked about racial subordination, I was going check, 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 been through that, um, mm -hmm. where yeah. my oldest son, I, I fought and lost the battle to get him into gifted education. Now, mm -hmm. was that because he was a black boy? I didn't, I didn't think that at the time and then i learned that the district was notorious mm -hmm. for not letting black students into gifted education and that black parents had to battle to get yes. their kids into gifted education um yes. and that was a statistical thing and mm -hmm. and so when you talked about that i i i just i i feel like we're worried about one thing, but we're it's like selective outrage. We exactly. We, wh why aren't we outraged that black students are suspended at a higher rate for the same infractions? Exactly. That, why aren't we outraged by that? And and I've never yeah. seen legislation to address that. Well, and why are we outraged that most of our citizens live in poverty and um, can't afford to live in the cities in which they were born and raised? Right. I don't know the homeless situation in St. Louis, but I'm sure many people are aware of it. Um, why are, you know, why are people homeless? Why are children going hungry? Um, why don't public schools, all public schools offer free lunch and free breakfast? I mean, those to me are the things that we should be um, outraged about. And I find it ironic that many folks who, you know, have concerns with uh, CRT are and have been introducing the uh, legislation also want to claim a kind of Christianity. And I would say as a Christian, then uh, what Jesus said, what you do the least of these is what you do to me. 
Um, and so when we see people suffering and we do nothing, nothing about it, but yet you're worried about uh, you've made CRT a, a intellectual idea. <laughs> you've made it into this boogeyman um, that you're going after wholeheartedly, and yet you let people suffer. I, I think there are a lot of questions they need to answer about that. Professor, we have to let you go, but are you outraged that some teachers are teaching that all whites are oppressors and all blacks are victims and claiming or and saying that, you know, maybe and not yeah. saying it, but that they're sure. are, are you outraged? It. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that and that's and I think that's where um, a little bit of knowledge it makes people dangerous. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to do a better job as an academic who works in the College of Education. We have to do a better job of of um, with professional development with teachers about teaching American history and contemporary issues. And I, and I will not call it controversy. I will say it's American history and contemporary issues. And so we just have to do a better job with that. That's a good point. She literally wrote the book, Critical Race Theory in Education. She is Adrian Dixon, Executive Director of Education Civil Rights Initiative, a Professor of Educational Leadership Studies at the University of Kentucky. Thank you for being with us on KMOX this morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's 9.39. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.